This is Rising Up at Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. The United States' 2020 census results are starting to be published, delayed by months due to the pandemic and marred by the Trump administration's attempts to undermine the counting of diverse populations. White Americans remain the majority of the population by far. However, the census showed that for the first time ever, the white population shrank over the past 10 years. Latino or Hispanic populations have grown most rapidly, followed by mixed-race Americans and then by Asians. Native Americans and Alaska Natives also saw a surprising rate of growth. There was a marked decline in the under-18 population, however. Joining me to help analyze these results is Dr. Manuel Pastor. He is the director of USC's Equity Research Institute and a member of Governor Gavin Newsom's Task Force on Business and Jobs Recovery. And he's been on our program uh, before. Welcome back, uh, Dr. Pastor. Always glad to be with you, especially to talk about data. Right. So I love digging into this as well. Uh, the news headlines were screaming white population shrinks for the first time ever. But then if you look at the data, we're still talking about a majority white country, right? The majority of Americans, you know, we might sort of not realize this living in California as you and I do. But if you take the country as a whole, white Americans are still the majority by far, right? Yeah, about 58% of those who responded to or that have been counted by the census are considered to be non-Hispanic whites. That is people who mark white on the census form and are not Latino. But it is big news because what's interesting is that this is a census that was very likely to have an undercount of Latinos, Asians, and other folks who have large immigrant groups in their uh, ethnic group. Because there were many different problems with the uh, census. There was the way in which the Trump administration tried to put the citizenship question on the census that never did arrive onto the census that was struck down by courts. However, it put a lot of fear, particularly mixed status families, to responding to the census. There was a lot of outreach that was supposed to take place at the end in order to make sure that people who might not have been counted got counted. The Trump administration cut that short by a month and did that rather abruptly so people's plans to improve the count were not able to take place. Despite all that, we saw this huge increase, significant increase in Latino, Asian, and mixed-race populations, as you noted, and it's actually faster than demographers were projecting. As uh, late as last year, demographers were predicting that this census would reveal that the nation was 60% non-Hispanic white. It reveals now that the nation is 58% non-Hispanic white, that is 42% people of color. And we are now projected to become a majority people of color country sooner than had been thought probably now by the year 2042. So the white population had been growing at a slower rate. And this is where the sort of math is important. The white population had been growing, but each year that rate of growth was getting slower and slower. This year for the first time, or every 10 years, I should say, because that's how often the census is done. And then for the 2020 census, we saw rather than a rate of growth, we saw a rate of decrease in the population or nearly 3% decrease. So that's a negative rate of growth for the first time. Whereas the populations of communities of color had an increase in rate of growth. And that might, as you were suggesting earlier, even be an undercount, right? 
Yes, and I think that the thing to kind of understand is that the census, which happens every decade, is our most reliable data. Lots of problems with the 2020 census that we can get into in terms of the undercount, the fact that it was initially administered simply by computers, given the digital divide, you know that's gonna produce an undercount of communities of color and the other issues that I mentioned uh, before. But it does mean that we get often these kind of year by year discussions, but when the decade to coddle census comes in, uh, there's a high level of reliability. And the shrinking of the white population probably comes from a couple of different things. There are a lot less uh, white children being born than kids of color. Uh, the white population is aging and therefore more likely to be passing. And then something which people don't pay attention to, which is that for the non-Hispanic mixed race population, uh, that actually grew from about 2.5% of the overall population to 5%. So there's a lot more white people who are also willing to say that they are mixed race. That is that they might acknowledge, they may actually be more mixed race. I believe that's been happening because of intermarriage, et cetera, but also a lot more people who are willing to embrace both parts of their identity. And that's a little part of the shrinkage of the white population. You know, one thing that hasn't been uh, perhaps given sufficient attention, you know, with all the news headlines on the browning of America, that is the fact that the people of color population has increased, there hasn't been enough attention paid to the browning of brown America. That is, when you look at the Latino population, you ask what share of the Latino population said they were white in 2010, it was about 53% of the Latino population said, well, I'm Latino, but I'm also white. In this census, only 20% of the Latino population said that they were white. This last decade of uh, xenophobia, of anti-immigrant hysteria, of the othering of immigrant populations and Latinos uh, have perhaps basically beaten the whiteness out of a lot of Latinos <laughs> in terms of the way they identify on the census. This is really significant because when you think about that identity, people of color identity, that's a chosen identity. That's where you make a decision about who you're in alignment with, about how you see yourself in the United States, what your community is. And that's a really important thing, the browning of brown America that's gone on sort of underneath this big headline of the browning of America. That's a really in, important point because the U.S. Census doesn't um, ask you what your heritage through your parents is, or there's no blood quantum calculation. It simply asks you what you identify as. And so if your own, and of course, racial identity is a social construct by and large. Uh, there are some people who are able to pass as white who have tucked away their non-white heritage. And now if they're embracing that more strongly, their own self-identification is changing, which is not to necessarily say that the racial makeup is changing with it, but how people identify. And I want to bring up, I want to piggyback on that to talk about the mixed race uh, population of the United States. My children are mixed race. I have lots of friends who are mixed race. Uh, I understand that this was the first time that the census actually, uh, in a more nuanced way, questioned people about mixed race identity? Well, they've been asking the mixed race question since uh, at least 2000. Uh, but the challenge was that we weren't seeing very much movement in it. And part of it was that the census was providing the opportunity for people to just really list 
to uh, races. And uh, what they did this time was to provide a bigger space for people to identify more. And that's part of what's gone on, I think, with Latinos, is that the growth of Latinos who identify as mixed, as having two or more races, went from about 6% of Latinos to about a third of Latinos. And I think it's partly because uh, many Latinos, uh, you were talking about self-identification, may feel like being Latino is a race, that because it's a socially constructed category, it's the way they really think about how they we racially identify. But it's also the case that when a nation is actively racializing you, then a category like Latino begins to be thought of as a race. You know, we did a study some years ago using the American Community Survey, and we were asking the question, when do Latinos mark uh, white and when do Latinos mark other? And most people thought that if you were in the United States for a longer time, maybe as an immigrant you arrive and you say, well, geez, I'm not sure what race I am, I'm gonna mark other. And that the longer you are in the United States, the more likely you are to mark white. But it turned out when you looked at the data and control for all the other factors that lead people to mark white or other, the longer immigrant Latinos were in the United States, the less white they thought they were. And it was because of the racialization of the United States. So I think that's part of what's going on is there's an embrace of the mixed race identity, perhaps by your children and indeed mine. But there's also a sort of sense of awareness about the racialization uh, in the United States, the racism in the United States that motivates people to choose particular identities. That's being reflected and the ways in which the question got a little bit more nuanced is being reflected. Now, the census doesn't count just citizens, although that's what Trump and his people would have liked. It counts everyone living in the United States, a snapshot of the year the census was taken. How much of the Latino population as the census counted in 2020, could you tell, was driven by immigration? Um, you know, because this is this is the, the white supremacist fear, right? That we're gonna lose out to the invading hordes of non-white people. The white supremacist fear is not really of immigration. It's of the kids who are being born to those immigrants in the United States. And you know, it's really important to realize that while immigration into the United States continues to increase, just the, the share of foreign born in the United States increases, increasing sort of just slightly in the last couple of years, it's actually falling in places like California, which has a long established immigrant population and is falling most dramatic in, dramatically in uh, historic receiving areas like Los Angeles and San Francisco. What's going on is that immigration into the United States has really tapered off. Undocumented immigrants in the United States, that's been on the decline since 2007. There was a pretty big decline between 2007 and 2009 as a result of the uh, Great Recession and the ways in which that induced people to move back to the countries from which they came. But since then, it's actually been on a pretty steady decline, uh, mostly because of uh, a lower fertility rates in Mexico and sort of less push factors going on from Mexico. So we've seen a steady decline in the undocumented population well before the arrival of Trump. What's going on and what is driving the ethnic change is actually kids that are being born to immigrants. It's the share of the, the number of young whites, those below the age of 18, has been falling dramatically uh, between 2000 and 2019, probably by about 7 million. And that's been matched by an increase in the number of young Latinos and young Asians that have 
collectively gone up also by about 7 million. Those are kids being born to immigrants who arrived in an earlier period. When you hear the white supremacist fears, it's not about people in our shores. It's about at our shores. It's about people in our communities. It's about children. And it's about the ways in which the young population now below the age of 18 is majority people of color. And that's the future that the white supremacists fear. Asians are the fastest growing racial group in the United States, although Latinos grew significantly. Um, the rate of growth for Asians, I understand, was higher. Um, I'm not sure if that's driven by immigration or by babies being born to Asian families. Uh, any thoughts there? Well, that's important to distinguish. For Latinos, most of the growth is happening from uh, children being born. And the share of Latinos who are immigrants, either naturalized or uh, non-citizen, is actually lower than the share of Asians who are immigrants, either naturalized or uh, non-citizen. Uh, so the Asian population, I mean, that's one thing that we can see in the data too, is that population uh, the immigration from Asia is now outpacing immigration from Latin America. So the Asian population growth continues to be driven by uh, immigrants coming into the country and also now kids being born to those immigrants and of course to Asian American families. But that's the big dynamic. But when you think about what's being kind of portrayed in the media about immigration, it's all Latinos uh, and not Asians. But in fact, this is where the immigrant flow is really coming from these days. What about the black population in the United States, African-Americans? And of course, we forget that there are black immigrants often, right? When we talk about immigration, there are immigrants from African nations and from other nations with black populations to the United States. So there are also, there, I imagine there must be some rate of growth in the black population, not from child, both childbirth, potentially from intermarriage, and also in terms of how people might self-identify and also from immigration. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the Black population in the United States and in many locations in the United States, um, the rate of growth is basically the national average. So if you look at the white population, non-Hispanic white population declining, if you look at the Latino and Asian population growing, if you look at the Black population, it's really about the national uh, trend. Um, the Native American population, which you mentioned earlier, by the way, some of the growth in the Native American population is about re-identification hmm. for people who have long been told that they should strip away their identity, right. finding pride in their identity and marking themselves off in the census. But returning to the Black population in the United States, most of it's driven by domestic growth. But it is important to realize the following thing. Because such a large share of immigrants in the United States are Latino and Asian. It's easy to forget how important immigration is to the Black community. For example, we did a report looking at California, and 20% of Black Californians, well, 20% of Black Angelinos, and about 17% of Black Californians are either immigrants themselves or the second generation sons and daughters wow, of immigrants. That's remarkable. There's more, you know, Issa Rays and Nipsey Hussles than most people think. Mm. That is people who have Black immigrant parents who were themselves born in the United States. And another thing that I think is really important and people really kind of forget it, I love to, when I got a chance to talk in public, you know, quiz people on these questions like what, you know, continent sends us the most educated immigrants we've got? And almost everyone will say Asians. 
that answer is wrong. It's Africa. Africa wow. sends us the most uh, educated immigrants of any of the immigrants we've got because it's pretty difficult to come from Africa and it takes a lot of the kind of machinations that more educated folks are able to uh, put together. And when you look at the Asian population, we do get very highly educated immigrants, but we also get a lot of lower skill immigrants who are winding up working at the lower rungs of the labor market. The Asian population immigrant and uh, non-immigrant is about the is one of the most skewed in terms of education and in terms of income of any ethnic population in the United States. Manuel Pastor, what about the uh, big question of how this census census data will be used? The, the, you know, of course, the Republicans under Trump, in particular, tried so hard to undermine the census, uh, so hard tried so hard to push the citizenship question because ultimately the census is used for redistricting purposes, which then translates into political power and the breakdown of political power in. Congress. So what is this data? How is this data going to be used? What does this bode for, say, Republicans? Well, it, you know, so, so first the data is used for setting the new districts, but it's not done in objective fashion. I mean, if you look at the way the basic data trends, the growth of uh, population of people of color, the growth of uh, major metropolitan areas, urban centers in their suburbs versus the rural areas. All of those would seem to indicate the potential for democratic gains if we were redistricting in uh, a way that reflected the actual population and populations of color tend to vote more democratic, uh, black uh, quite a bit more, Asians actually at about 80% lean Democrat and uh, Latinos two thirds to 70% tend to lean Democrat. And of course, our urban areas are much bluer than our uh, rural areas. But the ultimate redistricting is actually done through a political process. And about 190 of the congressional districts in the United States will probably be redrawn by legislatures that have both their assembly and their, uh, their Senate uh, controlled by Republicans by only about 75, 75 congressional districts will be redrawn by uh, places where the Democratic Party has a hold on the redistricting process. So you're likely to see a lot of gerrymandering going on for Republicans to try to retain their political advantage where they can. And so this is of a piece with the Republican strategies to try to suppress votes, to try to make sure that the census would undercount people of color, to make sure that they uh, are able with this new voting legislation, so many Republican legislations, legislatures are passing to be able to usurp the control over election counting of local authorities, particularly in big urban areas, which are likely to be more people of color and more blue. And you're going to see gerrymandered redistricting as part of trying to retain political control. What we have seen is that if democracy was allowed to breathe, progressive forces, people of color, the general kind of liberal trend states would be one that would find its expression politically. 
But in order to maintain anti-democratic advantages, the Republican, and I don't mean that just as anti-democratic with a big D over the Democratic Party, but anti-democratic with a small D, that is disproportionate control of smaller and smaller groups of white voters over the rest. That's been the sort of job one for the Republican Party in the last five to 10 years. I'm looking at comments by Republican Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia, who saw the fact that uh, many of West Virginia's counties uh, lost population, tens of thousands, fewer people in several counties. Only eight counties in the state experienced some population growth. And he said, this is a problem, a real problem. We have a lot of elderly people in West Virginia. If we don't replace and we don't find a way to start growing this, the situation will get worse. And then he added by less and less people, that means less and less revenue, which of course is, um, I suppose, how some politicians like to think of as people, um, sources of revenue. But, you know, this seems to be a concern, I imagine, for other uh, Republican governors as well, a party that is essentially based on a majority white membership is going to be terrified looking at these numbers unless they start attracting non-whites and start attracting a more representative you know a pattern of of, um, of the population of the united states and to do that, that of course they have to then stop relying on the politics of white supremacy however they've been playing Latinos, right, for many years. And we saw uh, Republicans make some gains among Latinos in, say, states like Florida. Um, so I'm wondering and how Texas. you... And Texas, right. And so I'm wondering how that is going to square. Is, are Republicans going to try to convince Latinos to start identifying as white? <laughs> well, the recent census data suggests that that strategy probably will not be too successful, given that only 20% of Latinos were identifying as white or white only in this uh, census. Um, but I think on the kind of broader issue, there's really two things in your question. One is for Republican governors, you get kind of closer to the ground with regard to governance. And that means maintaining an economy that's functioning, maintaining a tax base, et cetera. They see the real need to attract immigrants. And they understand that their populations may be xenophobic, but, uh, business often is less. And so there was an interesting story, I believe in the New York Times, just about Northwest Arkansas being incredibly reliant on immigrants in order to be able to thrive. And immigrants at every level, immigrants who might be high skilled and be in technology, but we forget that those high skilled immigrants and other high skilled workers have needs for nannies and gardeners and food service workers and a wide range of folks who might come in with lesser education. And so you're seeing in a lot of places a kind of tug of war between opportunistic Republican politicians who want to stir up the flames of xenophobia and be able to uh, win elections that way, and Republican governors who may want to govern and business allies who recognize that they need uh, immigrants in order for businesses in the economy to thrive. And I think that's going to be a really interesting tug of war, including in places like West Virginia. I mean, there's not a lot of immigrants kind of rushing there to say, I'd love to work in coal mines. So there's got to be a way to try to attract immigrants. And that's what places like Ohio have tried to do is to attract immigrants, particularly immigrants from the Mid uh, East, the Middle East, to be able to revitalize certain industries. 
there is going to be this other sort of interesting tug of war as well within the Latino or Hispanic population. Uh, the Republican Party under Trump did make inroads in this last election, particularly in Florida with a very anti-Castro, uh, anti-communist uh, kind of message that I think really swayed uh, Cuban voters. Venezuelan right, the fear of socialism well. and Venezuela and Cuba and all those terrible things that apparently would have been unleashed if we had Medicare for all. <laughs> yes, and I think that that was real. And I think for uh, you've got culturally conservative uh, voters and other voters kind of reliant on jobs in the Border Patrol that were actually also a target in Texas. It's just going to be you know interesting to see whether any other Republican can pull off the kind of combination of xenophobia and theater that uh, Trump was able to pull off. Uh, if there is no one else that can step up and Trump's game itself seems to be wearing out, um, this may bode ill, and I hope it does, for the Republican Party nationally. Right. It uh, seems like any day now we might hear Mr. Trump announce his second uh, run. Well, Manuel Pastor, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Always good to be with you. My guest has been Dr. Manuel Pastor. He is the director of the University of Southern California's Equity Research Institute. We've been discussing the results of the 2020 U.S. Census. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. We're online at risingupwithsonali.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter and also watch all of our video interviews. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at RU with Sonali.